on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance when a lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Today in our show, we're going to talk about what if D-Day were today. Ann Vandersteel joins me. She is going to be a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, Comey, is he insane or, or sinister? And finally, the DOJ and the swamp are trying to take down Trump. And I will tell you why these stories matter to you. In this first segment, this first five today, Obviously, today, all across America, people are acknowledging we are on the 79th anniversary of the D-Day invasion, the D-Day invasion that really helped turn the corner uh, in World War II, the attempt of the Allied forces to push the uh, German forces back uh, as they landed um, at the beaches and, and began to take the beaches. I first want to say uh, these amazing facts. The average age of the, mil of the American military person who was at the American soldier who was part of the invasion at Normandy, the, the you know the fighting back against the Nazis? Average age of the America of the American troops, 17. 17. Babies. These are babies. These are people who are. I'm sorry. Maybe it's 19. But I'm getting at just these are very, very, very young. Uh, you know, I think of them as babies, young children. Uh, a few other quick statistics. Um, there were 160,000 Allied troops that landed in Normandy on June 6, 1944. Approximately 73,000 were from the U.S. Um, and obviously other forces allied with them, uh, Britain and Canada. And um, it was actually a five-beach landing. So there's a little uh, map of the way the beaches look. It was a, uh, at the very same time, five beaches landing. If you put that little map up, Emilio. So this is a little bit of the view. Uh, my husband and I are actually planning a trip uh, next month, going to, uh, we hope this comes together, uh, and we're going to be right there where those are. We're going to follow the path um, of our precious troops that fought, really helped turn the war around. So that is a map of it. There's one other little poignant scene that I uh, sent Emilio a picture of also. This is a Catholic priest on the beaches of Normandy, Normandy giving communion. And you see the soldiers lined up, very reverential, um, and, and wanting that reassurance and the, the meaning uh, for many Catholics and, and Protestants um, of Holy Communion. So this is happening, that was on the beach at Normandy. Um, so we lost a lot of people that day we, uh, in Normandy. We lost, it was like 2,500 Americans. Um, and, and you know people of all backgrounds lost their lives that day, including um, the other Allied forces. Um, in the ensuing Battle of Normandy, 73,000 Allied forces were killed, 153,000 wounded. You know, it's a day to just, you can't possibly express enough gratitude for the bravery of the, those troops at that time, recognizing that Hitler had been rampaging through Europe, um, very much intending to really take over the world, just like he said he would. 
And, and so you just can't be grateful enough. And so there are descendants, of course, of all of these people, these American troops who fought at Normandy and really helped turn the tide of World War II. But I asked a question, the name of this segment was, what if it were held today? And I'm just gonna mention two things that have just been enormous changes in America um, since that time. One is that the um, US Military Readiness um, Organization announced um, the percentage of Americans who are fighting age, who would be eligible to be soldiers in America, what percentage of them are not able to serve because of obesity, or other mental or physical health problems. In America today, fighting age men, 77% of American citizens fighting age men would be ineligible to serve because of health problems, obviously being out of shape, overweight, mental and physical health problems. So we, we don't have a very fit nation. And we have, you know, the military has, as I've reported many times on the show, the military is having a hard time recruiting, hard time getting people who want to sign up for the military. And it's not just because they can't get physically fit Americans. It's also because the tone and uh, the, the whole morale within America's military has been corrupted by the previous Biden administration, by the current, uh, by the previous Obama administration, current Biden administration. This whole kind of um, pulling masculinity and patriotism out of the military. Uh, of course, you, we talk about many times uh, during the Obama presidency, he removed many senior military officials, like the patriotic ones, the ones that actually believe America is a good and noble nation, want to fight so, and want to stand for America and knew what America was. Those people thinned out very intentionally during the Obama years, the Biden administration. We've seen the, we've had soldiers on this show talking about it, how what has used to be kind of military training, or if you are in the reserves, you go for a weekend once a month to get trained, and you discover that what you're being trained to do for your weekend uh, is like pronoun review and uh, sensitivity training and advocacy for LGBTQ rights. I mean, just just a just a unserious military uh, being presided over by this current administration. So that's one piece of what would happen if this were needed today, if we needed to storm the beaches of Normandy today. The other piece of it has to do with how America's culture has changed in terms of love of, respect for, not reverence for, the uh, unique and extraordinary greatness of America. My theme on this show, that America is unique, extraordinary, and great, and our job is to protect it. So there was a poll done, a Quinnipiac poll done, a year ago right now. And the basic question was to Americans, if America were to be invaded, like the Ukraine has been invaded, you know, you, you had actual troops at these shores, would you stand and fight for America? Would you stand and fight or would you flee? The overall answer was overall 55%, uh, so over half Americans said they would stand and fight. They would stand and fight if they were in the position of the Ukrainians. Um, so and only 38% said they would leave the country. But when you break down those numbers, you discover that one political party is comprised of people, the majority of whom said they would not fight for America. And I know it won't be hard to guess, it's the Democrat Party. Democrats polled, the majority said they would not stand and fight for America. They would rather run. Democrat Party majority, and also very alarmingly and sadly, among those military age, ages 18 to 34, by a 48 to 45% plurality, say they would rather run away. 
And what I'm getting at is the culture and fabric of America has been altered by what I talk about all the time on this show, is the constant undermining in a whole variety of ways in the idea of the idea of, of what America is. It's the undermining of what America stands for, what it historically did for the world. We have students emerging from the public education system and from the colleges and universities in America coming out of those universities, having been taught by people who don't believe in the idea of America. So you have them emerging, being you know, disrespectful of America's unique place in history, uh, buying into something along the lines of the 1619 Project, that America is inherently racist, and that America really wasn't a noble and great country in its founding, that America is a systemically racist country, or some other bad thing. And it is a whole, This is we're watching a more than a generation of persistent undermining of our culture and society, uh, undermining the American people's belief in America and America's uniqueness and greatness. Back when World War II happened, uh, most Americans still knew, even though the communist effort to undermine America had started before World War II, the ideological effort within America, you still had a majority of Americans who knew America is great and extraordinary and unique. It is the beacon of liberty to the world. It's a place where freedom reigns. It's a, it's a place where it's a land of opportunity for anyone who wants to come here and work hard. People knew that back at World War II at that time when we had to get our American troops over to where they needed to go to fight for us, to fight for freedom, to fight against tyranny. Where we are in America today, most sadly, is that you have a large swath of Americans who have bought hook, line, and sinker the lies of the anti-American left, the characterization of America as a somehow not noble nation, kind of an America with a bad history, and we're somehow not only racist, but we're xenophobic, and we're intolerant, and we're all the other things, you know, selfish because we're capitalists. We have allowed in America the rising of the mindset that says America is nothing great. We're just like any other country. There's nothing unique about America, nothing great. And when you feel that way, when you're a young person, then you're asked, would you put your life on the line? You can understand why more would say, well, maybe not. You know, maybe I can hide out in Canada or South America or something. And this is one of the crying needs of our times. I'll wrap up my first five by saying this. In the time of World War II, what people were being called to do was physically to fight. It was to engage in warfare on the ground, in the air, through the oceans. Uh, it was to engage in physical battle, bombs and bullets flying everywhere. The attack on America today is more ideological. It is more about ideas. It's more about the, the perception of America that is created in the mind of the American people. The anti-American left has managed over decades of assault on America's culture and identity to get, get us to a place where you seriously have a significant number of young people that don't even know why you would say America is great. They, they don't understand why you would say that. And so the, the patriot job, the patriot's job back at the end of World War II and, and all other wars in American history was to be willing to fight, to stand up, speak up, be willing to fight. The patriot's job now at this time in America, in 2023, it is to engage in the ideological battle, the defense of America in the public square, in universities, college campuses, your church, your neighborhood, your tennis club, whatever it is you do, 
there is a call for patriots to speak up, to correct the record, to expose the lies of the left that have tried to paint America as a bad country, as a, as a, a country not worth uh, defending. It is our job to again resurrect an understanding among the American people what America is all about with the Declaration why it was, of Independence, why it was so unique, why the Constitution was so unique, why those ideas of America's founding gave rise to the most extraordinary country in American history. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. Okay, so as we have Ann Vandersteel joining us, she is, uh, she's kind of a rock star, I'll just tell you that before she comes on. She's kind of a rock star, um, and she's really a, um, she is a, an investigative journalist, uh, a very prominent investigative journalist. Uh, she is an outspoken patriot in defense of the real and good ideas of America. Um, she, oh, she has, uh, her name is Ann Vandersteel. She has a couple of different shows going on that we'll talk about uh, when she joins us. She also writes a, a Substack column. Uh, and she also is kind of carrying the torch uh, for Zelenko, for Dr. Zelenko, who un sadly, unfortunately, passed away, but had led the charge in trying to help Americans understand uh, how to deal with this COVID virus and the vaccines and all of that in a logical, healthful way. So she has a lot of hats, uh, including being a talk show host. I just saw her a few weeks ago um, at the Clay Clark event in Florida at, at uh, Trump Doral in Florida. Had a great chance to catch up a little bit there. And so glad she could join me today. Let's welcome to the show. Please let's welcome to the show, Ann Vandersteel. Hi, Ann. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me on. I don't think I've ever been called a rock star on a TV show before, but you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I had a, um, a CIA guy on who just is an extraordinary, uh, I mean, undercover, did stuff you can't even believe on the show. And I said, he's a great American treasure, which I actually meant. He had the same reaction. He's like, I don't know about great American treasure, but I am a fighter. Anyway, you are a rock star. So I would just start with, I mean, you have gotten involved as an investigative journalist. You are prominent in speaking at various things around the country. Let's start with, first of all, how did you even get involved before you were used to private citizen, how did you get involved in being such a prominent uh, spokesperson for, I always say for the idea of America, but for the way you speak up in media? Uh, so I'll absolutely address that, but I do want to go back to your first five and just make a comment as well, because it is critical to how I got started. I mean, it's, it is the foundation of our country. What you're talking about is our ability to stand and defend freedom. You have to take it. It's not free. But I got started because I worked for President Trump in the 90s when he had at a, at a, at a uh, property he has in West Palm Beach called Trump Plaza. And uh, early on, 1990, 91, I worked in the office with a bunch of ladies and he would come in weekly, Debbie, and take an assessment, take a poll and, and, and an assessment of what's going on in the building. We had rental properties and sale properties. And uh, he took a laundry list of things that we had that we needed to be addressed by his New York office on Fridays. And by Monday, everything was addressed. And he came in the following Friday with nothing from the previous week's list on it to be readdressed and anything new and the same thing repeated every single week. Come in Friday, by Monday, all issues resolved. Really quite extraordinary, quite a great listener. And uh, I, I told my father at the time, I was very young, I said, Dad, I'm going to buy this guy's book, The Art of the Deal. And if he ever runs for president, I, I really want to help him on his campaign because my parents were very politically active. They knew Ron Paul, they knew Ronald Reagan. My mother was sort of a uh, Hellraiser uh, back in the day. She was the first woman ever elected to town council in the town in which I grew up. So I, I was indoctrinated at an early age to speak up and it didn't matter. We crossed party lines all the time, even though my parents were Republican and my mom, Libertarian and my father, we helped elect Democrats. It was really the best candidate. 
with the best ideas uh, to stand for the idea of America from small town USA all the way up the, the, um, the ticket. So again, I just jumped in in 2016 on social media to the, uh, you know, against my better judgment, I got on Twitter and started tweeting for the president, got noticed, ended up on a, on a talk show called Your Voice America with Bill Mitchell, who is now very anti-Trump and very much in the DeSantis camp, mind you. But uh, just kind of grew from there, Debbie, and, and just found a liking to using my voice and lending it to help get the messaging out and started uh, engaging in a lot of political interviews of candidates around the country and uh, just grew from there, but became very uh, interested in the why. What was the domino that fell to create the the uh, scandal du jour in the government? And I sort of sunk my teeth into the fast and furious problem that never really has seen resolution. We still have outstanding issues of people who've never had their grievances heard by Congress and adjudicated by the Department of Justice. The people that have committed the crimes in that particular instance have gotten off scot-free, just like everybody else in federal government. So here I stand, uh, mad as hell, but I'm not gonna take it anymore. And like you, I speak out and I'm trying now more than ever to be more of an activist. If I'm gonna ask people to do stuff, I've gotta be able to do it myself. I've gotta walk the talk and show people what I mean. I can't just sit here and bark at a camera on a daily basis. It goes nowhere half the time. I love that expression, can't you sit here and bark at a camera? That's a really good line. Because I do them all the time saying, stand up, speak up for America. And I've gone to some rallies, I've certainly spoken at rallies and events, but all of the, uh, because often, I'm, you may hear this too, whenever I give speeches, one of the main things I hear afterwards is, you know, number, I mean, the most important question is, how can I help? Tell me something specific I can do. Because people do, I think, I think America is, many people in America are wide awake, to the danger we face. They're wide awake to recognizing how radically left our current government is, how we're seeing loss of our freedoms, freedom of speech and assembly, and, and all of our freedoms are being threatened. And people want to know something to do besides you know, drive home from a meeting and tell their husband at dinner, this is really terrible. And they want to do something. And, so, and there are more and more ways. I'm grateful for, all, for the organizations uh, getting rolling that are helping people speak up in a more focused, precise way. Uh, you can, and I will say, pick your one issue or pick your issues, pick your lane, and then just gotta stick with it because one rally, one presentation at a school board meeting is, is not going to be enough. It's gotta, it's gotta be a persistent effort. But I do wanna run through the things you do. So tell me first what you're doing. I know with Dr. Zlenko, you are very supportive of his um, efforts to help people uh, with their health and the threat to their immune system. So you're kind of carrying the torch for him. Can you talk about that? Certainly. Dr. Zelenko was a dear friend. I was the first person in new media to ever interview him when he was first uh, thrust onto the international stage by President Trump, when President Trump actually acknowledged a letter he received uh, stating the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc. Um, so uh, w once I discovered who he was through a mutual friend, I immediately sought him out, and we did an interview that uh, got a, a lot of views, got him very well noticed, and he became sort of a talk show darling with all of the new media colleagues. I don't think mainstream cared for him much because he spoke too much truth and he identified who the real culprit was. It's these public-private partnerships of evil between big pharmaceutical companies as, of course, our government agencies, which you and I both would agree is true fascism in its purest sense. And we have, uh, you know, he was, he called out the head of the serpent and had the need to decapitate the head of the serpent, which is the title of his book. Dr. Zelenko, how to decapitate the head of the serpent. So, uh, you know, Dr. Zelenko is missed terribly, but his message, his authenticity, 
still ring very true today, and it's still widely respected by millions of people around the world as he was that first true sounding board, that voice that explained, you can solve this problem with early intervention on a COVID-19 pandemic. We've learned so much more since then, Debbie. And so the Zelenko Freedom Foundation's mission has been about truth in media. As Dr. Zelenko so aptly stated, he wanted the truth spread like a mantra everywhere across all media, houses of worship. It didn't matter. He wants it out there. But other areas of interest for the Zelenko Freedom Foundation is in the future, which is our children. We have a Zelenko Fellowship Program. Our first fellow this year is a gentleman by the name of Alex Stone. He has been highly successful. His uh, focus has been in media. And since he's been under the wings of the Zelenko Freedom Foundation, he has now picked up his own podcast. He's doing a weekly show with Roger Stone, who they uh, affectionately refer to one another as uncle and nephew, even though there's no relation. And um, we've also focused in on the Common Ground Campus Program, which basically is uh, engaging college students of right and left parties on college campuses in a live debate in front of an audience, giving them a topic where they have to come together and solve the problem without pointing the finger at the opposite group saying, you're wrong. They've got to find common ground. That program has caught like wildfire and we have college campuses clamoring all over the country uh, for support to have the, the program delivered to them and engage their student body. So these are just a few of the things the foundation has worked on. Um, and it's been my honor to represent the, the Zelenko name in this capacity. And I look forward to more great stuff coming from the foundation and just really for humanity, which is the mission of the foundation to be of service to the public. And the uh, website for that for people to read more is Zelenko Foundation? It's ZelenkoFreedomFoundation.com. Z Freedom, excuse me, ZFreedomFoundation.com. Okay, ZFreedomFoundation.com. Okay, I love that. All right, and I, I mentioned you have, um, you do several of the podcasts and shows, but you know something? Um, I mean, and, and you're wonderful. You, you talk about great things. You're a fireball. I do want to turn, though, uh, you know, I, I have a little clip ready. And Mr. Emilio, okay, yeah, this is a weird studio where I can't really see him. Okay, Mr. Emilio, <laughs> um, I do want to play just to start with, and we can talk about it. So um, over the uh, very recent, I don't know if it was last Friday, over the weekend, uh, Jen Psaki, who uh, used to be the White House spokesperson and uh, fortunately is no longer there, um, but she has a little show, and she interviewed James Comey. And the gist of what they were talking about, she's asking James Comey, because I have a little a short clip to play what he had to say, She's asking him, well, you know, what's going to happen if Donald Trump wins a Republican nomination for president? And what if he becomes president? Because she's talking about against the backdrop of, you know, I mean, they're going to have an indictment probably uh, in Georgia uh, over the um, non-existent crime of Trump's phone call to Georgia um, and that election issue. And then they're also going to have a grand jury apparently going to indict uh, the, at the federal level. Uh, for the DOJ going after the, the uh, Mar-a-Lago documents. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but she's basically trying to set up, what are we going to do if, and she's asking, what if he's got a, you know, what if he's is in handcuffs? What if he's locked up? What are we going to do? So I just want to play a little tiny clip of what James Comey had to say, and then we can talk about that. Okay. Before any of these even go to trial, how concerning is that to you? Concerning to a prosecutor leading an investigation and to the FBI, mm -hmm. because... Despite history, we desperately don't want to be involved in election time investigations mm -hmm. and near them. And so they are feeling something else that won't be talked about publicly, but I just know the system. Mm -hmm. They're feeling intense pressure to move, to move, to move. So they're not in the position of making a charging decision next year 
when, when Donald Trump may be the nominee. So I think they are likely working very, very hard and trying to get ahead of where the, even the normal pace of an investigation might be. Can you envision a scenario where Trump manages to win back the White House and justice is delayed? I could. I don't, I don't want to, but I could. I mean, it's this crazy world that Donald Trump has dragged this country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention. And could be wearing an ankle bracelet and be elected in November. Yeah, we could have, it would be rejected if you put it in a script for a show, but you could have a president who is potentially incarcerated when he's elected president. Okay, you know, and I will tell you, I don't know if you happen to have heard that little clip before I just played it, and I, I am ready to spew. So if you yeah. want to offer a first reaction, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so first of all, let's go back to circa 2016 with the Hillary Clinton email investigation that Comey was so excited to stand in front of the cameras. It was sort of like his coming out party, if I remember, where James Comey got up one week, it was no big deal. The next week, it was over 100 emails. The next week, it was no big deal. Then the next week, it was the big deal. And then finally, they swept it all under the rug before the election because, you know, it was just which way the wind was blowing. And I think Comey was trying to figure out, knowing that he was covering up the Clinton climbs, going back to Whitewater and HSBC, does he want to be one of the Clinton body counts? So he figured out pretty quickly what he needed to do, give the public enough red meat to make him think that the FBI was doing their job. But at the end of the day, they were never going to do their job. So that was our first blush look at that. And of course, the rush that he's talking about now is he doesn't want to have a repeat of that with Donald Trump. But of course, notice how he lobs out there having a president wearing an ankle bracelet. I fully expect that to probably happen. I fully expect President Trump to be wearing an ankle bracelet and be elected the nominee. Because let's face it, Debbie, we don't have a legitimate government right now. They are posing, they're actors posing right now up on in Washington, D.C. in that District of Corruption dumpster fire, as I call it, D.C. District of Corruption. None of those people in the Biden regime right now, not Kamala Harris, not anybody in the cabinet, have a valid, effective oath of office on file. What do I mean by that? Well, some FOIAs were done on everybody in the Biden cabinet by Lisa McGee, a wonderful former uh, public school teacher in Colorado who was fired from her job for not taking the jab. Uh, FOIAed all their oaths and learned under 5 U.S.C. Section 3332, you need to have a signed, sworn, and notarized oath. They're either defective or non-existent. Everybody in that Biden cabinet. So really, what do we have? We don't even have a legitimate government running this country. So now you have another uh, criminal cover-up con artist, James Comey, talking about whether or not Trump's going to wear an ankle bracelet. Well, of course, Trump is the enemy to the burgeoning behemoth monolithic federal government RICO criminal syndicate that's sitting up there squatting in Washington, D.C., representing the CCP's interest. This is not a legitimate functioning government of we the people. They are the enemy of the people. The people, as you say aptly, need to stand up and exercise their, their power and control over the public servants that have run amok. And if we don't stand up and acknowledge and start demanding arrests of some of these um, high-ranking so-called officers of our company, of our country, then we're not doing our jobs. And that's essentially what it's coming down to. And uh, these high, I think these high stakes arrests, these high ranking office, uh, you know, arrests of uh, high public office officials is coming because the people are waking up to the fact that, yes, we are, in fact, in charge of these buffoons that are stealing our country right now, our freedom. And frankly, they're surrendering us to the rest of the world, to one world government. Absolutely. And every uh, agree on every point. The other thing I was thinking about Comey is 
I wonder if he's like been living in a cave and he hasn't realized that the Durham report came out. And the Durham report came out. Everybody knows the Durham report exposed the utter fraud his entire tenure was at the FBI. He's heading up the FBI. He's authorizing FISA warrant applications under penalty of perjury, fully aware that the entire Russia-Trump collusion was a concoction of Hillary Clinton's campaign, a right. campaign smear tactic. And they made it into an actual effort to take Trump out for his entire presidency, the first two and a half, almost three years of his presidency. We were treated to headlines and arguments and latest deposition reports and latest accusations. And he's the head of the, the whole dang thing at the FBI, James Comey, and never has the integrity, the, the, you know, the, a fiber of honesty to say, actually, we're kind of cooked the whole thing up. There's nothing here and we all know it. And he's worried, in his own words, he's worried that if Donald Trump gets into the presidency, he might use the DOJ or the FBI to go after his political enemies. I mean, I mean, the hypocrisy is, is so staggering. You, you could, it's, it's so, I'm speechless. I mean, I don't understand how a guy like that can continue to function and look, have a straight look, a serious look on his face. And very, thank you, Jennifer, for that great question. I, I mean, he's been exposed to the world and, and he doesn't seem to know or care. Well, he doesn't know or care because he didn't swear an oath to the Constitution. There is no allegiance to the people of this country, to the people that he's supposed to be serving. So, and he's managed to get away, as they all have, Debbie. They've all gotten away without impunity, or with impunity, I should say, for as long as I can remember. When was the last time we had an arrest of anybody of significance of a public servant? Exactly. So because they're never held to account because the people don't understand. Let's face it. I mean, this this problem is systemic to the fact our public education system eradicated civics from the textbooks yeah. years and decades ago. So the public doesn't know it's their job to fire these people. I mean, I tell people every day on my show or at least at least a few times a week, pull up on Ballotpedia. If you live in the state of like me, Florida, go to Ballotpedia, look up at your Florida state constitution. You can go right in there and find in every single state constitution that it will tell you that it's the people's job that whenever we choose, we can remove and replace our public officials. Not every two or every four years of the election cycle. Whenever we're dissatisfied with the people that are serving us, we it's our job to remove and replace them. And that's what people don't understand because they don't really, frankly, know how to do it. And, if, and you know what? It's not that complicated. If you've ever been a witness to a car accident, what is the first thing they have you do? You write down what you saw and you sign and swear it. And hopefully somebody notarizes it to make it truth and fact and admissible in court as a, as a piece of evidence, right? So if we start getting notarized, signed affidavits from people specifically in the federal government, like, oh, I don't know, Customs and Border Patrol of the illegal unlawful orders they're being given to smuggle these people in across the border and process in what they know to be known terrorists. If we start to get those affidavits, how hard would it be to stand up a citizen grand jury and bring it to a sheriff and make an arrest? It's that simple. This I isn't complicated. Yeah, I love that citizen grand jury idea. Part of what people uh, feel, what makes them feel hesitant or can't figure out how to move forward is a sense that even if you gathered evidence and you had a whole slew of sworn, signed affidavits and signed and, and notarized and you're laying it all out there, people don't trust our justice system. They don't believe the justice, and, and they are right, 
They, they are right in not trusting our justice system. They watch what's happening to the January 6th defendants, and they are just, they're shaking their head thinking, how can this be? The DOJ, the FBI keeps breaking down doors of people who are in Washington January 6th. The DOJ keeps prosecuting them. The judges sit there and look at somebody who literally stood still on the Capitol grounds for five minutes and left, and they're being prosecuted and facing decades in jail. Just as someone recently on my show talking about, their, and they are January 6th defendants doing nothing wrong. So people see those kind of things. They see the bullying tactics coming out of the Department of Homeland Security, as well as the entire Biden regime. And they are a little bit afraid. And they also think, if I speak up, what will happen? What can make it change? I do want to hear more about your citizen grand, uh, grand jury idea. And the going to sheriffs then, who are obviously a unique position in America. Um, and actually, let's just go there right now. So you did this. You, you got a bunch of people. They sign affidavits. They say whatever it is they saw. Citizen grand jury. Take it to a sheriff. And when you take it to a sheriff, you've got to be have a request in mind for the sheriff. And I don't know what it is you can get sheriffs to do. But I mean, here in Texas, they could help enforce a border. That would be really nice since we don't have a southern border. But the sheriffs are, they're becoming like, like a, I don't know, like a lone uh, force in America that may not be simply bowled over by the legal system in our country. Go ahead. Well, I want to just, before I get that, the government has become the big bully in the play yard, right? And it takes one person to punch the bully in the nose. So you need one high profile arrest. Let's just, let's just point to Secretary Mayorkas, right? Department of Homeland Insecurities Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is allowing for mass human trafficking as, of course, being supported by uh, Joe Biden, right? The kingpin of human trafficking around the world right now is opening floodgates of the United States to every single criminal that wants to come across, including in coordination and collaboration with the Venezuelan diplomat to Iran, who is rubber stamping anybody coming in from Iran into Venezuela, giving them a Venezuelan passport. So, you know, this is part of the fraud that's going on in conjunction with the UN. But let's just say we can get a Customs and Border Patrol agent, Debbie, to sign a notarized affidavit and swear to the fact that they know they received a phone call to cut a hole in a fence and allow the migrants to come through a non authorized Customs and Border Protection Agency checkpoint for processing and have a bus waiting to, to take these people on and remove them to a camp that has been stood up just on our side of the border. And again, that camp was funded by, or should I say, awarded a $7.5 billion contract, who's a very dear friend of Kamala Harris, interestingly enough. But let's just say we could get some border agents to attest and sign and swear a notarized affidavit to that effect. That's how you get a citizen grand jury to go and review all the truth and fact, because that becomes evidence when it's signed and sworn, right, and notarized. That's truth and fact. That is evidence for a grand jury to be convened and review. And if they choose to indict, either in an open or sealed indictment, whichever, they can hand that off to the sheriff, and, and the sheriff can now, with an indictment from a citizen grand jury, make that arrest. Here's where it gets interesting, because people are concerned about the brown thugs, the brown-shirted thugs known as the FBI, which is nothing more than a weaponized police force for the regime in power, because they're not chartered by our Constitution, Debbie. You know it, I know it, and most people should know that. Uh, if they knock on your door, ask them to provide your char their charter, ask them to show you a warrant that should have meets and bounds descriptions for your property, not a physical address. I mean, these are those things American people need to know when they're approached by these thugs. So assuming that <clears throat> we know that the FBI is going to probably go after people like that, 
We need more of us to stand. We have somebody's going to have to be the canary in the coal mine. And these sheriffs that are that are aware of the situation, their biggest threat is funding, you know, because they'll get the funding pulled. Remember, they do work for the corporate state or the corporate county of whatever state. Maybe it's the county of Travis, Texas or Kenny County, Texas. It's still a corporation. So they need to know they have funding. So it's going to require private funding to make sure these uh, sheriffs have what they need. And then, of course, it's going to need someone to be brave. But you go and arrest Mayorkas, you're now punching the big bully in the schoolyard square in the face. And it's showing you that the people are standing up to that bully. And that's what we need to do right now to know they can't continue to do this to the people. Absolutely true. I do think also, you know, people, and maybe rightfully or wrongfully, point to the very slim majority the Republicans have in Congress. And a lot of them thought the moment the Republican majority arrived uh, in the U.S. House that you would begin impeachment proceedings right away. Mayorkas would be one. Uh, Biden, when you are the president and you don't enforce the border, it doesn't matter whether you're mentally sentient or not. This is your job. And if you're not doing your job, then, then you sh on that kind of issue, you should be at the very least impeached and removed because you're not enforcing the border. And so I think people have been um, frustrated. They didn't see more immediate action out of the Republican majority in the House. They didn't see more immediate follow those articles of impeachment, get rolling now. It seems like the Democrats pounce on Trump every chance they had. So are you, do you think the House majority of Republicans is acting fast enough? Are they doing things according to process so that they, they have the strongest case? Or are they just capitulating and, and waiting for the time to run out until their terms are out? I, I, I think it's the latter, Debbie. It's it's all a great theater. It's all a great dog and pony show. It's to make the American people feel like somebody's doing something. Sound. We don't have your sound. But oh, you lost my sound. There you are. Now go ahead. Okay. Yes. I said it's. I said I don't. I don't think it's anything more than a dog and pony show to make the American people that somebody is doing something to make the American people feel good who have been aggrieved by the by the heinous crimes that we've been put through for decades now. I mean, our grievances were not heard. They they didn't even have a quorum when they went ahead and accepted the electoral count on January 6, 2021, and on and on and on. So. I don't see the, uh, unfortunately, the weaponization subcommittee, as great as the theater has been, I don't see it any different than Trey Gowdy barking about Benghazi. And we all know how that turned out. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm not hopeful on Congress doing anything because they can, can hold you in contempt and they can do all this stuff, but there's no teeth. So it's going to come back to the American people standing up the teeth, standing up the grand juries, getting the sheriff, and then getting our own facility to incarcerate these people. Uh, that's essentially what it is, because at the end of the day, look at crimes against humanity. Look at Nuremberg. Right. It, it, we have got to stand our own justice system. And because it's the people that are being harmed, the government be damned at this point. And not because I want to see any harm to people, but because they're not doing their job. They're not representing us. Absolutely true. And I have to say, I was very heartened right after Republicans got the majority that they made those special committees. They said it was on China, which is I'm harping on China all day long on this show. Uh, and also the weaponization of government, which is just a preposterous complete takedown of the rule of law in America and blind justice. And the whole, one of the foundational premises of America was this idea of blind justice. And we had the federal agencies weaponized against the American people. I think a lot of people thought, wow, okay, these are this is great because Kevin McCarthy is creating committees and they're going to hold hearings and they're going to investigate and you still get to, uh, and, the, and therefore, what? 
and therefore what? There is one therefore that's been emerged recently, um, and that is over the uh, the FBI. Uh, still will not release to the House uh, Investigating Committee, uh, will still will not release the uh, Biden bribery scheme document. I mean, there's apparently documentation flat out showing that Biden is not just you know, at the edges of, but guilty of, through transfers of money to him, actual bribery. And the information's been given. Uh, one member of the Congress said she's actually fears for the life of the person who is speaking up about this because they, they, they really may be taken out. And the FBI still, you know, they, they can't find anything wrong with Hillary Clinton. They can't find anything wrong with all the stuff that happened uh, when they were in charge. But they uh, are somehow still protective of Biden, like he just, he, he can't be touched. And so I think this is a good testing time. You talk about, well, you know, are they ever going to do something? So I guess, yeah, they're going to move to hold uh, the FBI uh, uh, in contempt. Okay. Well, that's like we wrote a, we oh. wrote a really, really great white, white paper on Fast and Furious. That'll teach right. them. We wrote a paper. See, there's a paper. Nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing yeah. happened. People want to know, what are you going to do to make something happen? Go. Yeah, well, again, look at Eric Holder. He was held in contempt of Congress for, for his role in Fast and Furious. My God, I've spoken to people who have eyewitness accounts of Eric Holder giving instructions to the straw men to go and do the weapons transactions and, and the fast and, in the Fast and Furious saga. Uh, I mean, we still have, Debbie, we still have weapons that are going across the border. I mean, just look at Ukraine. The weapons that we sent to Ukraine are coming back around and the cartel has a hold of this stuff. It's always been about trafficking of all kinds of merchandise, whether it's weapons, drugs, money, people. It's, it's the government is in control of all this and there is no accountability. And again, these contempt charges yawn at this point, yawn, yawn, and more yawn. Pass me the, you know, pass me a blanket and uh, and a baby bottle. I'm going to nurse it and go to bed. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm tired of dealing with a government that doesn't want to solve the problem. And they're not working for us anymore, Debbie, at all. People need to realize that. I tell people, just ignore that. Ignore the district of corruption. Ignore what they're doing up there. Start focusing, like General Flynn says, local action has national impact. And let's let's consider what the WHO's got going on just as a side and aside right now, because that third party, that governing body out there that's you know being propped up by the UN will have true governing authority over all of us once the member nations come to a consensus because joe biden has already made that possible by signing away our sovereignty and the ability for congress to say no to anything that they put forth when he signed us into the national defense authorization treaty or uh, national defense authorization act of 2022 and back last december so we have got to keep our eye on the ball. And what is the big picture agenda here? Is it about Joe Biden being reelected? Well, yeah, because he's a stupid puppet for the globalists. They could control him. But it's not about Joe Biden. It's about making sure America collapses so that the world government, one world government can be formed and the UN and the puppet masters that control it can achieve their agenda of true world domination. And of course, getting rid of the people like you and me, getting us out of the way and getting uh, the, the replacement population, which is coming across the border in place because their agenda does not require us to be uh, white collar workers anymore. They need blue collar slaves in the field, just like the Democrat plantations and the rest of us are expendable to AI. And of course their agenda of transhumanism. I mean, it's a really sick and twisted agenda, but this is, this is where our it's government is leading us and we're allowing it to happen. 
we are allowing to happen. One more thing on Congress, and I want to turn to the presidential race. But on the subject of Congress, I've often said, you know, the, the thing that the House has, the Constitution gave them, is the power of the purse. And if you, if members of Congress actually recognize the kind of dangers you and I are talking about, these are actually existential threats to the future of freedom of America, the future of American sovereignty, they could do something like even a slim majority in the House, lock arms and saying, we're funding nothing. We're funding nothing until these 10 things are done. I mean, the one thing they do have, you, I mean, I, I keep picturing like locking arms, all Republicans on the steps of the Capitol and saying no funding to the FBI until all J6 prosecutions stop. No funding the DOJ until they stop. No funding of the DHS until the border wall is built. Whatever, I mean, really serious. And I know those kind of things people will hear and say, well, that sounds that's a little extreme. They're not, those kind of solutions, they are called for given the circumstances we face. They are the, that level of extreme, absolute, not playing your game anymore, not getting on board with you. If we don't do those things, what's happening is the globalist agenda is rolling along right in front of our faces. And eventually when the World Health Organization tells us we're not allowed to have a particular uh, pandemic plan because they have some other one, or we're not allowed to support the distribution of some uh, medication that actually helps like ivermectin and inhaled budesonide and others did. In the, and we find out that we agreed they could say that for us. Then you'll finally have the American people awake. But the idea that they have that power in Washington, it, it is almost like it's not just the power of the person in a technical sense. It is the representation that the strength that could come if the Republican majority actually were willing to do it and do those kind of things and say no to funding and say no to authorizing anything further until a list of requirements are met. And the fact they won't do it tells you they're not really, they may not be on the side of the globalists, they may not be that far, but they don't care about America enough to defend it. They don't care enough. I'm going to let you hit that. I want to turn to the presidential race, but any response? They don't. They don't, Debbie. They work for the corporation. They're all corporate employees. They're not representative of we the people. And so they are, their agenda is to just continue to kick the can down the road and the debt ceiling getting kicked down the road is just another disgraceful act by this Congress. I mean, seriously, Kevin McCarthy, uh, whatever happened to, I thought Matt Gates was gonna call you, I thought Lauren Boebert was gonna call you, where are these people that were gonna call you out and call you up for another vote if you didn't um, you know, play ball? I, I, I remember President Trump, when he signed the first trillion dollar budget, he said, never again. And here we are, we've gone way past that. So it's it's disgusting, it's disheartening, and as an American, I am, you know, I'm just, don't want to acknowledge, I don't want to deal with these people. So I actually remove myself from a U.S. citizen's perspective. I'm an American. I'm not a U.S. citizen anymore. I took that 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 title off of my being, I've corrected my status. And of course, the United States Department of, uh, Department of State does recognize two different political statuses. One is an American national and one is a United States citizen. So I'm still an American, but I just stripped off the U.S. citizen portion of it because I don't want to fund and be a party to a country as government who is you know, committing crimes against humanity around the world in the forms of wars, nation rebuilding and tearing down, and of course, this pandemic that our, our government had a very big hand in. So I'll let you move into the presidential race next. All right, you blanked out a minute at the very end, but I think we got your point. I wanna just quickly turn to, um, on the subject, the, my last little show topic I had today was the DOJ and the swamp taking down Trump. You know, and I, I will tell you one of the battles, I don't know if we can get time to talk about it today, but I, I feel 
compelled to try in my show to speak especially to American women because American women are the ones who have a harder time voting for Trump uh, than some other similar politically background uh, counterparts for men. But first, before we get to that, there was a, a piece out by Peggy Noonan, and she was like, you know, she was the Ronald Reagan hero of the Ronald Reagan era. She, in fact, I believe she wrote his famous um, speech at the beaches of Normandy at, um, can't the name of that little place they were, Port de Hoc or something. She wrote that speech. She was a speechwriter for Reagan, extraordinaire, and really uh, captured well so much of what Reagan's message was about America. She's now gone. She's a total anti-Trumper. And she wrote a column in the Wall Street Journal today that was talking about how, you know, she's, she's touting the virtues of Chris Christie as president. Don't get me started on that. But then she's also saying, essentially, if Donald Trump wins the nomination, if he becomes president again, then we can kiss goodbye the Republican Party. And I really thought it was actually an enlightening thing that she wrote. Because what she's talking about is her Republican Party, the, right. the insiders, Uniparty, the, there are half of the Uniparty, the swamp. And she's talking about those people won't be preserved and protected anymore if Trump is in office. But first, your reaction to Peggy Noon. I don't know if you had a chance to see Peggy Noon's column, but... I, I don't I, I don't subscribe to the Wall Street, as they call it, the urinal, because I just refuse to give them um, a dime anymore. But uh, And I used to pay for Forbes and all of those magazines. I used to read them all. Um, but to that point, you know, you're right. I 100% agree. The Republican Party will change forever. And I do hope in every sense of the word it will change forever. And I do hope that this time if Trump is the nominee and if he does get elected, of which I'm suspect of whether we'll have a real election. We know there are selections, but they'll maybe force a pandemic that requires us to vote by mail for the entire country. And then we know how that story will end. I digress. Trump had better, at this point, get rid of every single establishment advisor that he's ever turned to in the past and never speak to them again, because they have steered him wrong continuously for the last six years, and they continue to give bad advice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there, and it may not be popular if the president's listening, but we all know that the president has been advised by some great people about exactly what went on with the vaccine situation with Operation Warp Speed and how he was lied to by Deborah Burks, by Dr. Fauci, and by many others, including Vice President Pence. So at this point, um, if he continues to go down and consult with the same people that lied to him about all these really critical junctures in his presidency, he is not going to be able to reform the Republican Party. He's going to fuel the fire for the rhinos to continue business as usual. So this is my request to President Trump. Please ditch the Rolodex of rhinos and start, start assembling a kitchen cabinet of true make America great again, America first patriots. And they don't have to be headliners. That These people I know wouldn't even care if their names were ever mentioned, honestly. They would just assume be faceless, nameless people that give him advice. So that's my two cents there. Yeah, absolutely true. You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I do think that the battle that has been created and laid out for the American people is actually healthy because what Trump did when he ran in 2015 and 16, he laid out a whole different identity for the Republican Party. Or to me, it was returning to the roots of what I think that the country has founded, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, what it intended to create. He brought in people who'd never voted before, and these were not you know, ruling elite academic snobs. These were everyday Americans 
who got so sick of politics years ago that they wouldn't even pay attention to elections, but he spoke to those people, the hearts of American people who want to be hardworking and self-sufficient and take care of their families and have a, 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 an economy functioning sufficiently to provide jobs for themselves and their children. They, they want to have the America as intended. And he, Trump, brought about that populist uh, ideology that just, it brought in so many people and it really it helped America, it kind of lifted the veil, so to speak, on the eyes of, of many people to recognize what the country had become over years of the Republican Democrat Party kind of merging together, being the uniparty. And he was trying to say, you know, the Democrats at this point, they're socialists and what they stand for is socialism and we're America and we don't do, here's what we stand for. And through a variety of his policies, he made America feel, he made Americans feel like we are part of the process. This is our country, we have a role. And, and so that's what he accomplished. And so that gets under the skin of everyone in the ruling elite mindset, people uh, in the Republican Party, uh, many who became non-Trumpers or anti-Trumpers or never-Trumpers. And they really, they use the excuse of, well, he sends mean tweets or he doesn't have a presidential demeanor. What they really meant was he's interrupting the entire cabal that used to rule in Washington. That's what I think he presented. And so you have a whole slew of people now. Pence is now running. Uh, we could run through, let, leave the other out for a second. Your reaction to what I said about Trump and, and his chances at this time in winning the primary and the general. I think his chances of winning the primary are excellent. The general is yet to be determined only because unless we get rid of these machines, Debbie, or at least be given a fighting chance where people can make the choice to do paper or machine when they walk into a precinct, I see them stealing the election outright because that we've been successful zero percent of the time on getting any of these uh, election issues really resolved. So we, we still haven't solved 2020 and look at what happened with Kerry Lake. They're blatantly stealing things right in broad daylight and we have no adjudication. Uh, it's, a, it's a travesty. So I don't think that uh, he can win in the general because I believe they'll steal it outright again. Uh, I do too. And, uh, you know, the 2020 election haven't been stolen and there's so much evidence developed that is just really irrefutable if you look at it, uh, which, to which you're referring, uh, part, uh, the main portion of it being election stolen being uh, via electronic manipulation of voter tabulation software. The reported outcome you see on election night is not reflect what the votes were because you can manipulate the machines. And this yep. has been shown, been proven. We have Mesa County number three. Uh, in fact, I think Tina Peters will be on the show tomorrow. She's here in Dallas. She, she, she along with others, uncovered uh, Mesa, uh, the, the whole Mesa County reports. But the point you're making is so valid and people get all excited about why look at the polling and this looks good and th this guy probably is gonna win or the polling looks good here or there and everyone if you don't step back and say, we have to get rid of the machines. And even the gray state of Texas, where everyone thinks we're the most conservative or we're one of the most conservative, couldn't get rid of the machines, could not. Couldn't get even a serious hearing on the issue in the Texas legislature. I don't think it happened. It didn't happen in any state in the country. No legislature was brave enough to say, we're going to get rid of the machines and return to paper ballots. Until we do that, uh, I think that there will always be great distrust among the American people about the outcome and be very, very hard for, for, for Trump, who I think will win the nomination, whether he's got, you know, he's uh, <laughs> And under arrest or not, he will win the nomination. The question just becomes, can he emerge from the general, given the amount of cheating they, they, um, they obviously intend to do? One last thing, and I know you got to go. I'm watching the clock, but 
I do actually think the Democrats is now, to my view, more than likely they will pull uh, Biden out and put in Michelle Obama. I know she doesn't want to be president. I know she, she doesn't want to work. And, I, and she wouldn't be president anyway. She'd sit there just like Biden sits there and Barack yep. Obama runs the whole thing. But have you thought about that at all? Are you worried about that oh. if they put Michelle in? Uh, of course. Uh, le- yes, I absolutely think that is clearly the uh, the, the, the plan at, at, um, at the heart of it all for the Dems. I think that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, they're just sort of biding their time right now, biding their time with a Biden. Uh, he can't fall enough to, to be symbolic of just how badly America has fallen from grace with uh, this buff- this buffoon as president. But yeah, Michelle Obama is another way for Barack Obama to yet have a fourth term as president, just with the uh, with the puppet that he can control this time, his partner, uh, Big Mike, as some might call her. There you go. Okay. Um, first of all, Ann Vandersteel, I know you're very busy. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. It's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you for joining me. Oh, my goodness. It's my honor, Debbie. You do a great show. I'm very, it's, a, it's an honor to be a guest with you. Thank you so much. I hope you'll consider reciprocating. Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for all you do. You are, you are a fireball. I forget the word I said you like them. You are a fireball. You're really, you're quite a, you're a leader in the, in the movement to wake people up. So I so appreciate you and thank you for thank joining you. us. Thank you. Okay. My very fine friends, this is what happened today. I, you know, I had these topics. I thought I'd have her for 20 minutes, but I was talking to her and then we do the rest of the topics ourselves, but actually I had her on the phone before we uh, came on, and obviously we love talking politics. I think I mentioned to you, I saw her. We both spoke recently at Clay Clark's event, uh, the Reawaken America tour at Trump Durrell, like three weeks ago. I talked to her there, and so we had that kind of conversation that, you know, going back and forth, back and forth. I mean, she's a real fireball, and she's a dedicated patriot, and she brings out so many things in her shows in various ways all the time. So it was a great honor to have her join me on my show, uh, and glad she could hang on for all the great topics you want to get to. I want to spend some time, probably tomorrow, talking a little bit more in depth about Trump, Pence, and all of the other candidates who are uh, emerging. Because what you see right now, the DOJ uh, is planning on indicting Donald Trump in July over the the, uh, documents at Mar-a-Lago. Not going to bother indicting Biden, who had no authority at all to remove documents from the White House when he was vice president under Obama, but did, held on to them for years in numerous unsecured locations. Biden can do that, but Trump they're going to indict apparently next month and also indictment expected in the state of Georgia for Georgia state law relating to the conversation Trump had with Georgia officials on election night when everyone sane could see the election was being stolen. And so this this is, I mean, this is the deep state operating against Trump's reelection, against Trump's capacity to win the nomination, eventually to win the election. So I I just, I don't think America's gonna take this sitting down. I'll spend more on this tomorrow, but for now, I'm actually a little bit past time, almost out of time for the show. So I want to share with you, as I do at the end of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start out today. Seems like a long time ago. Um, What if D-Day was today? Average age of D-Day troops, 19 years old. Nobody believes America today has enough 19-year-olds 
willing to take the cliffs of Normandy to defend freedom. The calling of this era, understand anew the rarity and blessing of human freedom under God. Understand it is this rarity and blessing under God that assures that it is always under attack by atheism and godlessness, requires that it be defended fiercely. Leftist ideology is the antithesis of human freedom under God. It is anti-American. America's warriors today don't face the bullets and bombs of the German army. They face the mockery of leftist mobs if they stand and speak up for truth and America. Mental clarity and moral courage in patriots, that is the need. And on the uh, Comey, is he insane or sinister? Um, FBI, uh, former FBI Director James Comey speaks, after release of the Durham report, Comey dismissed obviously the criminal conduct by Hillary Clinton. He personally did that. He personally insisted on the filing of fraudulent FISA warrants to spy on Trump. He knew the Russia collusion was a made up hoax from the outset, pursued it anyway. Yet Comey dismisses concerns about bias and impropriety of the FBI under his watch. Comey now worries about a weaponized FBI if Trump is reelected. Hypocrisy, lunacy on steroids. Comey's comments are far beyond merely hypocritical. Is he actually mentally deranged or insane? Or is he diabolical in his willingness to lie? Trump derangement syndrome seems to be a real thing. All because Trump is beyond the deep state's ability to control. And on the final thing, DOJ and the swamp taking down Trump, all signs point to imminent indictment of Trump over Mar-a-Lago document handling, Mar-a-Lago document handling, maybe about classifications, another possible alleged crime, but probably about vague theory of obstruction. Some way they want to find something they can prosecute. Simple comparison to Biden's possession of documents shows stunning FBI bias, even fraud. Biden was vice president at the time he removed documents, didn't even have the authority to declassify, as Trump did. Biden had documents in multiple unsecured locations. Nobody disputes Mar-a-Lago security. Biden documents seem to be linked to CCP funding of the UPenn Center. And the Biden, Biden bribery case is even more stark, yet the FBI is still protecting Biden. Deep state determination to take out Trump knows no bounds. Fixation on removing Trump as a presidential candidate for 2024. But every transparently bogus lawfare tactic makes the American people rally more to Trump. Deep state's lies are past the saturation point. Americans see through dishonest motives and acts. A summer of heavy turmoil is ahead. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. And you can find everything we do in this show at our website, americacanwetalk.org. Please tune in every day to America Can We Talk at 3 p.m. Central. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you